My name's Dick. I'm one of the pastors here at Faith Covenant Church when I'm not making a fool of myself in the almost newlywed game. <clears throat> so let's see. Caps, how long are you guys married? 21. And, and Terry and Marge said, well, Terry thought it was around 40. 40 in September. All right, good. Mary Kay and I made 45 last Saturday. And parts of every year were good, right, honey? Yeah, parts of every year. If we're honest, there are those challenging times. Well, I do want to welcome you to our worship service also. We are truly glad you're all here on this very, very special fifth Sunday of each month. Now, I've already whined to one person. I'll whine to all of you now. Uh, Pastor Kurt thought this was a really good idea doing family fifths. Yeah, he just, he thought it was absolutely wonderful. He's missed four of the five. He counts better than I do, that's one thing, but uh, it is always fun when we come together as a family, just enjoying what God has done in our lives and, and just enjoying our relationship together. Now, I will forewarn you, our text today uh, deals with such things as curses. Now, we probably didn't plan this one particularly well on Family Fifth to talk about being cursed and um, punished to eternal damnation. You know, it's just not really light, uh, but it's very significant as we continue on our journey going through the book of Galatians. There's a story told of a Sunday school teacher who was trying to help her kindergarten class understand um, what was necessary in order to get into heaven. And so she said to her class, if I sell my house and have a huge garage sale and give all the money to the church, would that get me into heaven? And the students all said, no. And so she said, what, what if I, uh, I clean the church and mow the yard and do everything around there and and do everything good for the church, will that get me into heaven? And the students all said, no. And so this Sunday school teacher said, well, what if I'm really good to animals and I give candy to all the kids, will that get me into heaven? And the students all said, no. And there was this pause as the teacher says, so what, what do I have to do to get into heaven? And a little five-year-old raised his hand and recognized, and he said, in order to get into heaven, first, got to be dead. <laughs> you know, we... We laugh about that, but there's truth in that. Now, unless Jesus comes right now, um, we got to be dead before we're going to get into heaven. But there's also truth in the fact we need to be dead to ourselves in order to get into heaven. And that's a double death. So there's a little bit of truth in that answer. Um, how about a, a, a quiz? Hint, hint, this is one you're going to have to look at. Um, a quiz. So it's multiple guess, A, B, C, or D, A. So how good do you have to be? Pretty good is A, B really good, C, better than Uncle Joe, or D, perfect. That's, a, that's an interesting one, isn't it? Because we are talking about freedom and the grace we have in the Lord, and yet, if we are still living under the law, we have no choice but to be perfect. Perfect in all ways. 100% totally perfect. If we're only 80% perfect, that's like being 80% pregnant. It just doesn't work. You're either pregnant or not. You're either perfect or not. God does not grade on the curve if we're looking at the law. It's all or none. It's pass, fail. So the question we have, if we have to be perfect, then how do we ultimately get in heaven? Well, and that's what we've been looking at in our wonderful series called Freedom, going through the book of Galatians. Now, just a little bit of reminder. 
This is a book, a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the churches in Galatia. Galatia is what is now part of modern Turkey, kind of the central part of modern Turkey. And Paul planted these churches on one of his missionary journeys. And he loves the Galatians, and he shared the gospel with them, the truth of who Jesus is, that you are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone and not by works. He shared that with them. And now other teachers have come in, maybe a couple years later, they're called Judaizers. And they are Christians, they believe in Jesus, but they're putting on to these young Christians, who are mostly Gentiles, all the rules and regulations of being Jewish. 614 rules, laws, and regulations. And Paul says it's grace. The Judaizers say it's law. And Paul's writing this letter saying, no, it's grace. It is grace. It's grace. It's grace. Now, over the past few weeks, we've heard from Pastor Kurt and Greg, just a couple of things that really stuck with me. The one I love is there's nothing you've done in the past that could make God love you less. And there's nothing you can do in the future that will make God love you more. Isn't that true? God simply loves us. And the other one is the formula. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. You don't have to add anything to our personal relationship with Jesus Christ that's going to add to our salvation. It's Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Now, I, I love the book of Galatians because it really became pivotal in who we are as Protestants, as Protestant Christians. It's because Martin Luther, probably most of us know the story of Martin Luther, a Catholic priest, brilliant man, uh, loved to study scripture. As a priest, he got a lot of time to study scripture. Um, and he, he kind of got stuck in Galatians and spent a lot of time in Galatians and was his studying of Galatians. He had this epiphany, this awakening. He realized he could never, ever, ever, ever be good enough to earn salvation, to earn a right relationship with God. He couldn't be good enough as a priest. He couldn't follow all the rules and regulations of the Catholic priest and what the Catholic church had required. He knew it was only by God's grace. And he wrote a lot about it. His encouragement was to the Catholic church to begin to change a little bit, to, to kind of catch this idea of grace and not works. And the Catholic church responded exceptionally well. They excommunicated him. But that didn't, that didn't deter what Luther did. He continued to write and write, and over about a two-decade period, with other writers, other authors, other theologians, other pastors, we have what we know as the Protestant Reformation. Just over a couple of decades, we have what now is Protestants and Catholics. There's a difference. And for us, as covenanters, we really like Luther because we came from the Lutheran tradition. Swedish Lutheran is our background. And so, in some ways, we go back to Martin Luther. Now, as we look at this wonderful book that time and time again talks about the fact we're saved by grace or faith alone and not by works, if you don't memorize that by the end of this series, you're missing out on it because that's really what it says. We're going to hear it again a number of times. But in the midst of that, I want to do a little caution. And we've got to think back a few months. We did a, a series of sermons called Grace Works. And we looked at the book of James. Now, the book of James um, uses a phrase over and over, and it is that Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. Now, now, James never once writes that you are saved by works. What James' thesis was, if you say you have faith, your life should start to look a little bit like the teachings of Jesus. If they don't look like the teachings of Jesus, have you really received the faith that you get through grace? And so as we go through this wonderful series about grace and freedom, 
realize that God wants a little more for us. Max Licato, a number of years ago, said this. He said, God loves you just the way you are. Just the way you are, but God loves each and every one of us so much, he wants more for us and more from us. He wants us to be more and more like his son and our savior, Jesus Christ. And that's really the way we need to look at this whole concept of Galatians' freedom and James' faith without works is dead. It's both. We're not saved by our works, but our works reflect the grace and faith that we have over here for our salvation. Well, I, I love Galatians because it just happens to be divided into three great sections. Now, today we're doing a little turning point as we start chapter 3. We're going to be doing verses 1 through 14. It's on page 18, 12 in your few Bibles. Um, It'll be on the screens in a minute, but we're not quite there yet. Um, But there's three sections to this. So chapters one and two are kind of the personal introductory material. Who is Paul? How did he become the apostle that he became? And where did he receive his teaching? Talked a little bit about some of the conflicts that he had um, with Cephas, Peter. And now we're moving into what is probably the doctrinal section, a little more highbrow theology. And then the last two chapters, five and six, is where the rubber hits the road. This is where the application really takes effect. Now, as we look to our passage today, it is a little challenging. But it, too, is broken into three sections. And the first is personal experience. The second section deals with Abraham, looking at Abraham from a different perspective. And then the third part deals with the concept of the curse. And Paul is sharing all of this because he's writing to the Galatians saying, why are you doing what you are doing? Now, we're going to break our passage into three parts. So we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 5, 6 to 9, and 10 to 14. So I encourage you to follow along silently as I read aloud. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul and hear God's message to us about the grace that is offered in and through our relationship with Jesus Christ. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? So again I ask, does God give you a Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you have heard? Please join with me in prayer. Uh, Lord God, we do thank you. We thank you for the joy we have of worshiping here this day. We thank you for your spirit being among us. And Lord, we pray your spirit helps us to hear your message for us this day. And Lord, give us the courage to apply it in our lives each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> well, Paul, Paul's not holding back in this section. He starts off with, you foolish Galatians. Foolish Galatians. Uh, let's see, it was J.B. Phillips in his translation said, you dear idiots. And uh, someone said, it should be you numbskulls, because Paul just can't believe, after they heard so much about grace, they're going to turn back to trying to follow the law, or you have to be 100% perfect. He couldn't understand it, and he continues in our passage to say, so what bewitched you? Now, he's not saying that lightly. He's wondering if they're truly under a spell, under a trance, because they would be idiots and fools or numbskulls to go back to the law. He just couldn't understand why they were doing what they were doing. 
And he gives them a number of reasons why he thinks they're wrong in doing this. He said, if you go back to the law, you are denying the cross of Christ, which I shared with you when I first saw you. You're denying that Jesus Christ hung on the cross for your sins and your salvation. You're simply denying it. And then Paul says, you're also denying the experience you had of knowing what it means to know God's grace, his forgiveness, and his love. If you go back to trying to earn it, you go back to trying to earn it. And then Paul says, and also, you've been suffering. Now, these folks are Gentiles. Uh, No doubt they were worshiping probably either Greek or Roman idols. And when they made the shift to begin to, to worship the true God, they probably were ostracized by their family, their friends, their community, and they no doubt suffered because of that. And Paul's saying, You've suffered. Is that of no value to you at all? You're turning your back on what you went through to believe in the grace of Jesus Christ. And then Paul ends with, look, you've seen miracles that have taken place in your midst. The very end of our passage in 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 verse 5. No doubt you've seen people healed, potentially, though our text doesn't say it. You've seen lives radically changed because of the grace that's offered in and through Jesus Christ. By simply going back to the law, you're turning your backs on that totally. Why would you do that? Now we're going to move into the next section, which are verses 6 through 9. And uh, I'd like to continue, encourage you again to follow along as I read aloud. So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham, Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now, Paul is brilliant. We know that he was a Pharisee and uh, knew the law inside and out as a Catholic, or excuse me, Catholic, (laughs) on to Catholics, as a Jewish Pharisee. And here he demonstrates his brilliance because he's using Abraham as his next example. I can imagine the Judaizers, those who were raised Jews, came to faith in Christ, but are requiring these Gentile Christians to do all the Jewish laws. They're thinking, hey, Abraham's our guy. There is no way, no way that this upstart Paul can use Abraham to defeat us. There's no way. He's our guy. And so Paul uses Abraham in a rich, wonderful way, and he basically is saying, Abraham came to faith, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So here we have Abraham. God said, you have faith. It's credited to you as righteousness. Now, this is where it's important. That happened in Genesis 15. Genesis 15. It was in Genesis 17 that God asked Abraham to be circumcised. And here's the catch. 430 years later, 430 years later, the law was given to Moses. Law wasn't even there. Abraham didn't have to follow the law. It didn't exist at that point. And what Paul is saying is, here you have Abraham justified by faith. Before the law even existed. That's the beginning of the gospel. You are saved by grace through faith alone. And that happened 430 years before the law even existed. 
And then Paul goes a little further, and he says, and uh, here we are at the very end, um, all nations will be blessed through you. If you remember in Genesis 12, when God calls Abraham, he says to Abraham, hey, Abraham, I want you to go someplace you ain't never been before. And uh, if you go, I'm, I'm going to make a few promises to you. You're, you're going to have land, and you have a lot of descendants, and you're going to be a blessing to those who bless you. Now, it's interesting, that particular concept helps us to recognize who we are today, that the gospel's not limited to just a few people, not limited to just the Jews. It's for everyone. God told Abraham that he would be a blessing to those who bless him. There's a blessing. And also the concept of our evangelism, what we do in sharing the good news of Christ, comes right back to Genesis 12. <clears throat> we'll go into all the world sharing the good news of Christ. All the world. It goes right back to Genesis 12. Now, we're going to move into the really light section about cursing. And that ends up being verses 10 through 14. Again, I encourage you to follow along. For all those who rely on the works of the law are cursed, or under the law, excuse me. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. <coughs> Following the law, Paul is telling us, requires that you follow the law, you follow all the law, and you follow all the law continuously. There's no grace. There's no give me's on exams. It's 100% or failure. As we've already talked about, either you're pregnant or you're not pregnant. There's no 80% pregnant. Same thing with being perfect. If we're seeking to follow the law, Paul is telling us we're cursed. We're cursed because we will never measure up to the standard of Jesus Christ. And that's the standard God uses for each and every one of us. None of us will ever be at that 100% standard of Jesus. We all fall short of the glory of God. And if we're seeking to do it by what we do, we're cursed. We're condemned, we're found guilty, and we will die eternally. Die eternally, that's just not good stuff. But what Paul also tells us, is that Jesus made a way for us. That through his sacrifice, he took on your sins and my sins, prior sins, current sins, sins in the future, and because of his death on the cross, we have that opportunity to be in faith and relationship with our Lord. This concept of hung on a pole comes out of Deuteronomy 21, and it refers to Criminals who would be generally stoned to death and their bodies would literally be hung on a pole as a visual evidence of their failure. And Jesus, 
Jesus became guilty for us. And he hung on that cross or a tree or using the term a pole to make that way for you and for me to have that right relationship with our Lord. Now, one last story. I'm sure some of you heard this one. Gentleman dies, goes up to the pearly gates. Peter meets him outside, and, and Peter says, well, here's the deal. You need 100 points to get in, and uh, you tell me all the good things you've done, and I'll judge how many points they're worth, and when you get to 100, you can come in. And the guy said, oh, this will be easy, because I've really been good. And the guy said, well, I've been married 50 years and never cheated on my wife. And Peter says, great, one point. And then the guy, one point for that? Yeah, one point. And the guy said, okay, I've been to church almost every Sunday, and, and I almost tithed. And St. Peter said, well, that's worth another point. And the guy's just aghast, just one point for that. And he said, well, okay, I've got something better here. I created a ministry to help homeless veterans, and it was very successful. And St. Peter said, that's really good. That's worth two points. And the guy said, only two points? At this rate, I'm only going to get into heaven by the grace of God. And St. Peter said, exactly, 100 points, come on in. <laughs> it is only by the grace of God. Now, sometimes we may be thinking, what's it have to do with us? We know there's grace. But boy, aren't there those times we think, hmm, it is Jesus plus whatever it may be. Jesus plus, and I loved Kurt when he was sharing, Jesus plus, you can't wear jeans. Or Jesus plus, you have to look this way. Jesus plus, you got to use the King James Version only. Jesus plus, you can't do this or you should do this. It's Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. It is my prayer that each one of us will not be those foolish Galatians, that we will not be bewitched by all that's out there, that we truly will recognize the grace that is offered through our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If you don't know that gift and you've not experienced or you have more questions about it following worship, we will have prayer partners up here who will be more than willing to share with you and pray with you and answer your questions. So please, if you have any questions, join us up front, absolutely. Now, in just a moment, we're going to be sharing the sacrament of our Lord's Supper and as we share in this sacrament, this is a reminder of uh, what Christ did for us on the cross. The juice is his blood and the bread is his body. And so as we share in this sacrament, uh, membership in this church or any church is not a requirement to share. Your personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ are the only requirements. And we encourage you to join with us. Children, if you would like your parents, if you'd like your children to share, please um, do share. We have serving stations, one, two, three, four, five. The one at the very back is gluten-free, and one cup will have water, and one cup has grape juice and gluten-free wafers. Um, when the time comes, please go to the stations that's closest to you. If you'd like us to serve you, just raise your hand, and, and we'll come and serve you. On the night of our Lord's arrest, 